Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. Bill, thank you so much for sharing and um, just taking a moment this morning, church, and just remembering, yes, what, the, what happened um, and I would assume most of you, if you were around during that time, can remember where you were and the place you were um, at that moment. I remember I was with, um, I don't know if you're familiar with First Priority Campus Ministry. Um, anyway, it's been around a while. But I was actually serving the Lord in that capacity, and we were at Trustful uh, Middle School at the time doing assembly, getting ready for seat at the poll, which is the third Wednesday in September, big prayer meeting. And I remember it was right after that morning assembly that all of a sudden, you know, I mean, I mean, we're at the school and things are going nuts at that point. And I remember going into a room where there was just a little video TV up on the wall and you could see one of them smoking. By that time, the second plane hit. Went long after that, all of a sudden it came tumbling down. And I remember that. I mean, it just it, I, I can remember. I, I can relive that moment right now. Um, the weight of that moment. That afternoon, it's... it's, it's you know, kind of like what Bill was saying that afternoon, we're at Trustful High School doing an assembly. Now, again, when you get into public schools and you start trying to share the gospel, it gets a little dicey sometimes. Depends on where you go, I've noticed. Some principals give you freedom just to preach the gospel, share your testimony. A lot of folks don't. Uh, but I remember that day, on that moment, in that afternoon at Trustful High School, that principal just said, y'all do what you need to do. And I remember the gospel just being shared. And I remember teenagers of all ages just, I mean, coming to this altar that was made out on a gym floor, crying their hearts out to the Lord. And, that, and you saw that the following Sunday after Sunday after Sunday in our country. And I mean, it's just a, in one sense, a beautiful thing, uh, how, how great tragedy could produce great triumph. And I, I would remind us all that the tragedy of the cross if not for the tragedy of the cross, there would be no triumph today for any of us here today. This would be all in vain, yet through the blood of Jesus. Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. I've been in a series now for some time called Encountering God. Encountering God series will be here for a little while longer, I think. Um, and in John chapter 4, you're going to find a familiar story about a Samaritan woman and... Um, and, it, and, it, and it's a story, I mean, it's, it's, and I'm so grateful for John's gospel. Yes, a little unique, not a little different from the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but it helps us, and it gives us some beautiful stories and beautiful illustrations and understanding of, of Jesus' ministry that we saw a couple weeks ago with Nicodemus in John 3, and now we see him at, at the well with the Samaritan woman. And I just love it, because it just, it just gives us a model. And, I, and, and there's something about this story, uh, this part of Scripture here, that just resonates in my heart so much. So anyway, so we're going, to talk, we're going to see about the well encounter. And let me just kind of back up before we get into John chapter 4. Um, let, let me just remind us in the preceding chapter in verse 22. It said, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where they spent some time with them, and he baptized. And so what was happening is the Lord was ministering in the Judean countryside, and people began to hear about this, and they're, they're coming from all over. Uh, and at the same time, John the Baptist is continuing his ministry, preaching repentance. But, but if you go on in, that, in, that, in, in, the, in, in those verses, go to verse uh, 26. 
Uh, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, meaning Jesus, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. And I love this because I mean, it's like everybody's going to see Jesus over there. What about us? And John's reply, man, uh, he goes on to say, he says, look, a man can only receive what's given to him. You, you yourselves can testify. What, what has John been saying? I'm not the Christ. I was sent ahead of him. 29, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. John goes, that joy is mine. And it is now complete. He's finished his work. He said, he must become greater and I must become less at that moment. I mean, you see the transfer there. And you hear John's testimony. And I love at the ending of this, in verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And here we are in chapter 4. And in this kind of, the, what I'm calling the backstory, we hear John's testimony about the Lord. But also the Pharisees, and, and look at this in verse 1, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And so in this little backstory here, we can see the Pharisees are already trying to stir some things up, trying to get a little dissension going on. And in fact, the Lord kind of senses this. John gives us a little description in verse 2 and says, it wasn't Jesus who was baptizing, but the disciples were. But when the Lord heard of this in verse 3, he learned of this. He left Judea and went back at once more to Galilee. If we had a map, Galilee's to the north of Judea, and Judean countryside where he was. And so uh, he, he has to go back or he's going to Galilee. Now what's interesting is in verse 4, again with the backstory here. Uh, my Bible out of the NIV says, Now he had to go through Samaria. And what I love about this and what the Lord's doing, that phrase, had to go, uh, was really a phrase that, that John uses multiple times throughout his gospel. It's, it's just a little bitty word in the Greek, D-E-I, day is what it's called. But it translated, he must go or had to go. In fact, there's an important element here. And he, and he used this uh, also in the previous chapter where he said, uh, uh, where the Lord said this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, referencing the cross. And over and over again in John's gospel, he makes reference to the, the importance or the necessity uh, of what was about to happen, usually in reference to Jesus' mission, what was going on. What we do know of this is that he says in this verse 4, the Lord says that he has to go through Samaria, or has to go through Samaria, yeah, to get to, to, get to Galilee. Um, now, let, let's. there were actually three ways to get there. He could have went the coastal way. If we had a map, he could have went this way, kind of around most of Samaria. He could have, as most Orthodox Jews would have had at this time, crossed the Jordan River and would have avoided Samaria altogether and went up on the other side of a Gentile nation and crossed, able to cross the river, went up that side, and then came back over into Galilee, avoiding Samaria altogether. You can kind of get a sense, and we're going to see it here in this conversation, of the race, racial tension. That was going on even in his day. In fact, for Jesus to go into Samaria, some would have said, no, well, let's avoid that place altogether. There's nothing good in Samaria whatsoever. But we see this, and I, and I want to I bring this out because I think it's an important point. Because we see this in the Lord's life, and I think it's for us to help us to understand how to live this life under the Lord. Jesus was on mission wherever he went. He had a purpose and a plan. Now, I get it. Sometimes we don't have a purpose and a plan. Some of us may be a little scattered than others. It doesn't matter. But, but make, make no mistake, 
He had to go, and there was a reason why. It wasn't that he had to go through the Samaritan. He didn't necessarily have to go to Jacob's well, but he had an encounter with a Samaritan woman that had to happen that nobody else really knew about, but he knew it was going to happen. And I would say to me and you today, we live on this side of the cross, we do have God the Holy Spirit in our heart and our life, and God the Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, directs us places that sometimes we don't even realize it. Are y'all with me? I'm just going to be straight up honest. I like coffee. I don't know how many of you drink coffee. I left the house this week, heading to work, going to Glenwood, and I had to go by the Circle K. If I was writing that in the Greek, I would use that word, D-E-I, right there, because I had to go. I had to get me some coffee. What I didn't know is that the Lord had a greater purpose there in that moment. Y'all with me? How many times have we had to go somewhere, had to do this, had to do that, but we... But in that moment, and I'm telling you, I'm getting my coffee. I'm getting there because that's why I'm there. And I'm there a little earlier than normal. It's like 6.30 in the morning. 6.40, something like that. I'm all alone. I'm like, well, nobody's at the coffee machine. I'm getting my coffee. About that time, old Brad comes up and says, JJ. And he comes up and sees me. You don't, I don't, y'all probably don't know Brad. Hopefully he'll come. But it was in that moment I realized, you know, as much as I love coffee and wanted to be here, it was really more about seeing Brad. In fact, Brad saw me. I didn't see him at first. Come on, I was fixated on my coffee. I'll be honest with you. I didn't. I just saw people in the store. I love this scripture because it reminds us that what we do matters. What we do matters every moment, every day. And God, yes, orchestrates our life. Jesus is trying to give us a, a glimpse of how to live life on mission. And he had a sense of having to go through Samaria. He was on mission. He was compelled to, pa- to pass through Samaria and to stop at that certain village. It wasn't to save time or steps, but because he had a divine appointment with a woman at a well. Um, now, a little bit more about this backstory before, before we get to the encounter. This area this, where this well is located, they stop. Uh, in verse 5, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph, right? And back in Genesis, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It tells us they started counting at daylight, so it was around 12 o'clock, around noon time, right? He was tired. I mean, we know he's fully God, but he's fully man. He had been walking a ways. He was thirsty. He was tired. We know later on the disciples went into that town to go buy some food. Why? Because they're hungry. They need something to eat. Which, by the way, I mean, again, you see Jesus is the radical one that goes out. I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, he, he breaks through all the customs. Number one, he's going straight through the country. Number two, he's sitting down there. Number three, he's going to talk to this woman at the well. Number four, he ate the food from the village. I mean, he is breaking all kind of customs in this moment. Hopefully helping us to understand sometimes, sometimes God will call us to do things that are kind of unusual, out of the norm. We get in patterns and routines and what we're doing. I didn't say unscriptural or unbiblical, but I'm telling you, sometimes society will tell us, no, no, you do this, you do this, you do this. And sometimes you got to preach the gospel. Sometimes you got to go somewhere you don't normally go because there's somebody there waiting on you to hear about the Lord. Anyway, so God just gives us a beautiful glimpse here of this way of living life. On mission. He had to go there. Uh, we know that this area is rich spiritual history, right? From Jacob's well being there. Uh, he had given it to his son Joseph. In fact, Joseph, we know by the scripture, was buried there somewhere near 
uh, Shechem, which was uh, in that area that, uh, uh, where, where we're talking about, near where Sychar uh, is right now at this moment, uh, Joseph was buried there. So there was a strong spiritual history, not just for the Jews, but for the Samaritans. You got to remember, they were all one tribe at one point, and then they broke away in the kingdoms and all that stuff, and then... Henry came in and set up the northern kingdom and had his own temple, and then all this kind of idolatry came in, and then they became this kind of hatred, this racial tension that happened over years. And it got to the point where here in the first century that most people would have avoided that place, would have walked around it, but the Lord said, I got to go there. There's a reason. That's a beautiful, beautiful piece of scripture here. But let's look at the encounter in chapter uh, four, beginning in verse seven. Because it's when we're introduced, and, and Jesus is sitting there at the well, and the Bible says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? It's just real simple. But it, I mean, again, he broke the custom. He, in fact, most rabbis, men in that culture, wouldn't even talk to a woman they didn't know, much less this woman who was coming out in the 12th noonday sun. There was something else going on. We see that in the whole story, the rest of the story. They certainly wouldn't have had a conversation with this woman because of the background that she's coming from. But there's all kind of things that he's breaking the norm. John gives us the, 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 the insight. The disciples have gone into the town, sick or to buy some food. But then the response here. Uh, the Samaritan woman says to him in verse 9, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The first thing, and I love the, I love the process here. The first thing, it seems so obvious here on the surface, is that Jesus reveals several things about him being the Messiah. Number one, he's a Jew and she's not. She's a Samaritan. They would have called him a half-breed. They were a mixed culture. That, that was the whole idea. In fact, in the first century, some of the Pharisees later on wanted to kind of make a derogatory comment to Jesus and calls him a Samaritan. Demon-possessed, that's what they said. So it, it, you, you get the sense here, Jesus is doing something that's out of the norm. He's encountering this woman. And she says, well, what are you doing? You're a Jew, and, uh, and I'm a Samaritan. In fact, when John gives us that little help here, he says, for Jews don't associate, the word there could be dealings, translated, literally means same utensils. In other words, we don't interact. We don't talk to each other. We don't ask. You don't drink out of my cup, and I don't drink out of your cup. I mean, that was the kind of the racial tension, the rift that was going on. It was intense. Yet Jesus broke down those walls in that moment and asked her for a drink of water. He, he started the conversation at a very surface level. He reveals to her that, yeah, I am a Jew, but here I am talking to you. She understands that, that, uh, that tension. Now what I love about this is how the Lord takes this conversation and moves it from the surface level. Of, yes, I'm a Jew. Yes, there's racial tension. Yes, I'm here. But he moves on. The second thing that he begins to reveal to her is, I'm greater than your father Jacob. Now look at here in verse 10. Jesus answered her, and I love this, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked me. You would have asked him. And he would have given you, here it is, living water. What's interesting is Jesus turns the tables. I love this. this is, we need to learn from this. Right on the surface of it, we talk about Alabama. I don't know if you probably don't talk about Alabama football, but some of y'all talk about your football. But you can turn that to something more. And so he's taking this thing. I'm thirsty. Notice, notice here, Jesus is the thirsty one in the beginning. 
He turns the tables and said, look, if you'd known who I really am, you'd ask me and I'd give you some living water. He's turned the tables. He strikes a chord in the heart of this woman. And she goes, sir, verse 11, you have nothing to draw water out of this well. It's deep. She's at the physical. She's looking at the practical. Where are you going to get this living water? You can kind of sense that in her heart. Maybe I'm being a little too much into it. Then she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? I said, Doug, this way, are you greater than him? He drank from this himself. Who do you think you are? I mean, you can kind of sense, you know, her little heritage is rising up a little bit. Who do you think you are coming up here telling me? Are you greater than him? I love this. Verse 13, Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. Real practical. But whoever drinks the water, now here it is. He's taking it to another place. Whoever drinks the water... I give him will never thirst, ever. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a springing of water. An artesian well is going to spring up, welling up where? To eternal life. Now he's done made the turn completely. It's not about a physical thirst here on earth, right? It's about this physical thirst, this spiritual thirst that, that yes, is here in our hearts, but it's only satisfied in eternity. And he turns it in this moment. We've gone from this well of water to eternity. You know what he's saying? Yes, I'm greater than your father Jacob. Yes, you know why? You drink this water, you're going to get thirsty again. You're going to keep coming back. But what I give, you'll never thirst again. Jesus made it real clear. You want to know life, everlasting life? It's in Christ alone. Period. And so in this moment, he is saying, yes, I am greater than your father Jacob. No doubt about it. Ah. Uh, now, what's interesting is here, he has, he, in verse 15, he has made the turn here with this woman, this conversation. He has, he has brought her to a place where she recognizes she's got a need in her life. And she says to him, now she asks for him. She says, she says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. Now, hold on and have to keep coming back here again and again. She's at, a, she's at that physical level still. She's not thinking about the eternity at this point. I mean, now she likes it. Her ears are being... T Listen, she loves the idea. I don't have to keep coming back this well. Why? She's coming at the, at the sixth hour. She's coming at noontime. This is not the time. You don't come in the heat of the day for this. There's something going on here. We know that. The Lord knows that. We know the whole story. She's out here for a reason. She's tired of coming to this well. She's tired of what people are saying. She's tired of having to live this life in this way for this time. She's tired of this. So get this out of my life, sir, and give me this water. Now, I love this because uh, if you've ever had a conversation with somebody about salvation, about Christ, listen, it's not good to pick fruit before it's ready to eat. Right? And so in one, in one sense, I mean, right? And so in one sense, someone may be interested in the gospel. They may even be talking about things that are eternal, but they're not there yet. And in a sense, we kind of see this in her. Right? She, she, she literally says uh, to him in verse 15, Give me this water. But you can tell, she said, I don't want to keep coming back here over and over again. Now what's interesting, the Lord again takes it to that place that he so gently does. And he just very clearly says, go call your husband and come back. Wearsby makes this comment. He says, the only way to prepare the soil of the heart for seed is to plow it up with conviction. This is why Jesus told her to get her husband. He forced her to admit her sin. There can be no conversion 
without conviction. In fact, the shortest statement right here, she said literally in verse 17, I have no husband. The Lord in this moment spoke to the real need, the real issue, the real place in her heart where she had to acknowledge and admit, I don't have it together. I don't have, uh, I have a greater need than the thirst of this water. I have a greater need. What is that need? The need to be forgiven of sin, to have assurance of salvation. And so when he, she's confronted with this, go call your husband. I mean, the reality of this conviction, the reality of this moment, the sobering moment here. She, let me say this. She had a choice. She could have lied. She could have. But in this moment, she just is honest. And I love this. Listen, if you're not honest and admit that you need Christ and admit that you need Him and that you have sinned and turned away from Him, you, if you never admit that, acknowledge that you have missed the mark, that's the word hamartia in the Greek. If you never admit that, then why do you need a Savior in the first place? And yet we see this beautiful picture, and she admits that. She acknowledges that, and that's beautiful. She says, I have no husband. This passage reminds me of going to Wales. And Gavin will know he was there with me at that time many years ago. And... Uh, and see, people have different thoughts about conviction. And I remember uh, actually sharing this passage of Scripture on a, on a Sunday night. And, uh, and they, don't, they didn't offer invitations, people to come forward. The reason why we do this is you never know who, who's here. and God may be dealing with you and you may need to come to Christ today. You may need to come and repent. You may need, may need to just come and kneel and pray. Whatever it is, the altar is always open in the house of the Lord. But I remember on that night, they don't ask people to come, but they, said, they told me, they said, Jay, if you'll go back here to that back room and just stand there, if anybody wants to talk to you about the Lord, they'll come see you. And I thought it was the oddest thing in the world. I was a young preacher, and I thought, Man, that's kind of okay. I mean, when you're in Rome, you do what Romans do, whatever, we, even though we're in Wales. But I mean, you know what I mean. Uh, and I said, okay. So I got through preaching. I preached on this passage. I said, man, you want to live in water? You want that? You know, and I'm, I'm turned to Christ. I mean, I mean, that whole... So I go back there. I'm in congregation, a little bit smaller than this, and I go back there and stand by that room that's back here in the back corner. I'm just standing there. And I'm just standing here, and everybody's just milling around like you would when y'all get up and leave, about minute go to Bible study. Everybody's kind of milling around. And I'm standing there, and this young little girl, 10 years old, comes up there and just stands right next to me. Doesn't say a single word to me. I said, hey, how you doing? Look down at her. I'm not the smartest guy in the house. I'm with you, know. But she's just standing there, sweet as can be, looking at me, and I'm looking at her. And, I, and I'm looking around, and everybody's still milling around. About that time, it dawns on me. I said, I said, do you want to know how to trust Jesus Christ personally? And she said, I do. I'm like, oh my goodness. I remember going back into that room. And her mama at that time had come in there with us. And I remember we were back there in that room, and I'm just, I'm just sharing the gospel. I'm just sharing this. I mean, it's just real simple. And I remember... Kneeling down and taking her by the hand. Sangalolo right there. I mean, just she just as earnestly and as well as she knew how as a 10-year-old uh, just cried out to the Lord and asked for forgiveness. I mean, you know, she's 10 years old. And uh, I just remember, I mean, she's praying. 
committing her life to Christ as a 10-year-old. And I had my eyes closed, you know. You can pray with your eyes open, but I had my eyes closed in the moment. And when I looked up, I'm telling you, the joy of the Lord just radiated off of this young girl. She's, I'm the little girl, she's, tears are coming down her cheek. I mean, I'm just overwhelmed by the graciousness of God. Mama's standing right now. I can still see her. Mama's right here. I'm on my knees right there. And she, the little girl's just, I look at Mama, and Mama's just bawling. And, uh, and I remember I turned to Mom, and I said, Mom, what, what about you? She said, oh, no, no, no. I said, what? She said, no, 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 that, that's her. That's her decision. I said, so you don't, you don't want to know? That? I mean, mama's bawling, crying. I said, you don't want to know Christ? And she just put her hands up and said, no, 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 no. Broke my heart. I mean, you can't lead somebody to a place they don't want to go. I mean, God, I mean, how? Broke my heart. Even in this moment, she had a choice to make. Just like we have a choice to make. You're not, God's not just running you over. But he'll present opportunities. It may not be in this fellowship. It might be when you're on your way to work. It might be at work. God may present an opportunity. Maybe for us to lead somebody or somebody to respond. But make no mistake, she came clean and was honest before the Lord in this moment. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You're exactly right. You've had five and you're not even staying with one. The have's not even your husband. What you said is quite true. She says this in verse 19, because not only is he greater than Jacob, but he's now the prophet. He's, she says to him, she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet in verse 19. And she goes on to talk about our fathers. Now she's talking about the history, the legacy, worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews, there's that tension again, claim that we have to go to Jerusalem. And he says, I believe me, woman, a time's coming when you will worship neither here on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. But you Samaritans worship what you don't know, but I'm going to tell you what you do know for salvation's from the Jews. That's what the Bible says. Yet a time's coming and has now come. Listen to this. True worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and in truth. Remember what he told Nick a little while earlier in the previous chapter? He said, Nick, you must be what? Come on, church. What did he tell Nick? Say it again. What? Born from above. The Spirit of God has to come down and take up residence in your heart, changing you, transforming you. We're not talking about being religious. Now you're religious, sir? More? No, no, no. There's a change wrought in the heart of a believer from heaven above. And he's saying, look, now's the time. Worship the Lord. What? In spirit. Because the Spirit of God now resides within you. And in the truth of His Word. He reveals to her in this moment, she's beginning to see him as a prophet. And the woman says in verse 25, I love this, she goes, I know, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he's going to tell us everything. I love this because the rich heritage that she was in, even in the, the, the racial tension, the discord, the, the differences and the, and the animosity that was going on, she still had a, a knowledge that the Messiah was coming. This one who would come, and he would tell us everything, and he would... Pave the way, that's what he's called, the Christ, the anointed one. He would pave the way of salvation. Now Jesus did this moment in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. I'm him. So there's a progression here. God, uh, the Lord takes her where she is right here at the well. 
He, he takes her from that physical thirst, but leads her to this process where, yeah, I'm greater than Jacob. Yes, I'm uh, more than just a prophet. I am Christ. Jesus, Savior, Messiah, Lord, God Almighty. That's who I am. And I love this. Now what I love here, when he reveals this, is the reaction of the Samaritan woman. Um, in verse, what, 28? I have to turn my page. She leaves the water jar. She leaves the water jar and literally went back to the town and told the people, come see this man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be to Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. I mean, I love this, right? In other words, in this moment, I mean, and most scholars, when they look at it, I mean, there's a conversion that takes place where she acknowledges Christ. How do we know this? Because it changed her. I mean, she's no longer worried about what people say and think of her. She's no longer wanting to avoid people. She's running to them. And it doesn't matter anymore. Think of me, whatever you want. I'm going to bring to you. Listen, there's somebody I just met, and he's touched me, changed me, and i got to tell you about him. And she runs into the town. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the townspeople start coming out. Now, what I love in this moment is the reaction of the disciples. And I do. When they come back, verse 27, they're surprised to find him talking with a woman. I mean, I can imagine that if you were walking with the disciples. They're a little baffled, like, uh-oh, what's he doing? Or they might be thinking, what is she doing? Why are you talking to her? Once she leaves and goes back to the town, <laughs> again, verse 32, look at this. I mean, verse 31, the disciples urge him, say, Rabbi, hey, you need to eat something. Listen, we brought all this food back from town. You need to eat something. The Lord says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Let me remind you, Jesus said later on in chapter 5, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working, working, working what to do his will. He goes on and says, I tell you the truth, the son, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what the, he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. In the same way, Jesus is modeling and demonstrating for the disciples. Look, you want to do ministry? You want to serve the Lord? You want to do his will? You got to understand this earthly food is not the, the way to go. He said, I have a nourishment that comes from listening and doing and being obedient to what the Lord is calling me to do to finish His work. I mean, I can't help. I mean, I know. How many times have we been focused on physical food to the neglect of an opportunity that God's given us to serve Him? I mean, I, I'm just being honest. I mean, I'm probably too honest. I mean, I like to eat. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I do. And the disciples, bless their heart, were concerned about the Lord, about He needed nourishment. Where did they just come from? The disciples. They bought food where? In the town, Sicker. They went to the town, engaged the people there, bought food and brought it back to the Lord at the well. Look at verse 39 with him, if you will. Verse 39, look at this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed 
in him, in Christ, because of why? The woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. I mean, what a basic testimony. She had an encounter with the Lord, changed her life. She went and told others. But look here in verse 42. Uh, these people came and said to the woman, said, Hey, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really, what? Is the Savior of the world. Many people in that town. In fact, the Lord stayed two days there doing ministry. The disciples went to the very place that was fertile ground for the gospel. And they didn't see it. They were focused on physical food and they didn't see the spiritual need of the people or even think about these people might want to come to the Savior, the Messiah. Why? Maybe they were blinded. Maybe their eyes were so fixed on the task at hand that they didn't see the opportunity that the Lord already had. God, Jesus already said, I have to go there. I have to be there. It wasn't just this woman at the well. There was a whole village of people that needed Christ. But the disciples didn't see it. In fact, he kind of challenges them in verse 35. He says, don't you say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. Open your eyes. We're praying on Wednesday night. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, that we might what see you and the hope of our calling. Part of that calling is the opportunity we have to share the gospel with the people around us. I'm so thankful for this. This scripture, it just reminds us how important it is for me and you, for all of us, uh, to ask God to open the eyes of our heart, to open our literal physical eyes to see what the Lord's doing around us. God is always at work. We know that. The Bible's clear on that. The question is, where is God at work around us right now? Where is that? So here's my last thing, and I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us, all of us. I want to challenge us to intentionally pray and gather people to the Lord. Let me say this. We've looked at Nicodemus. There might be some people that you know right now that need a new birth. They might be religious. They might have come to this church several times, but we haven't seen them in a while. I don't know. I don't know. You know who they are, but they need to be born again. You know that. You know that. We need to be praying for them. Remember Peter on the, on the seashore? Maybe there's some people that you know right now need a recall, need to be reminded of God's grace and His love for them. No matter what they've done, he forsook the Lord, renounced the Lord. doesn't matter how, what we've done, what we've said, what promises that were not fulfilled. God's grace is sufficient. And maybe there's some folks you know right now that need a recall to come back to the Lord. Or maybe like this woman at the well who needs what? Living water. The decision she's made in her life had brought her to a place she never thought she would ever be. Can I just say, but by the grace of God, sin has a way of taking us to a place we never thought we'd go, keep us longer than we ever thought we'd be there. And maybe like this woman, she needs to be reminded, you know what, there's living water, yes, even for you. doesn't matter. God's grace is sufficient. So here's what I want to challenge us to do. Um, I don't know if you, and I didn't, did y'all get a, a little bulletin when y'all came in? Oh, let me borrow this right here, Karen. Thank you so much. I don't know if you take notes or write on it. Do y'all have a little bulletin? I know, I'm not asking you to lift it up and wave it at me, but you got something to write on right now. I'm going to ask you in just a few minutes. I know, I know we got some things. We're going to close. I know we got the time. 
I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Whether you have a bulletin or a sheet of paper, I'm going to ask you to write down something real quick for me, Will. Can you do that for me? I know some of y'all are scattering around like, oh my goodness, there might be some pins back here in the back seat. Uh, yeah, there's, oh, they're, they're magnetized. They're on the back of the chair right there. Y'all got that? I want y'all to help with something right now. All right, thank you. And this is for all of us, uh, all of us students. And I got my students in here, right? Uh, as sixth grade and up, right? Or there may be other, there may be children in here. We're all children, I know, of all ages. I get that. Um, but it's for all of us, all of us that know Christ personally as our Lord and Savior. I want you to do something for me. I want to challenge you. I really do. Every Sunday since I've been here, 11 Sundays, we've, we have said together we are here to glorify God by gathering. By gathering. I want to challenge us to gather next Sunday. So what do I mean by that? On the back of this little sheet of paper, I, this is you, between you and the Lord right now, I want you to think about anybody in your family right now that you know either doesn't know Christ, not involved in the local church, somebody, I, you know, some of y'all drive an hour to get here, so I'm not thinking that, you know, who knows? I want you to think about them. Is there anybody in your family right now, write their name down, that you can invite to gather? Okay? What about friends or coworkers? Are there any friends or coworkers that we have in our life right now? And maybe you have a coworker and you don't even know if they know the Lord at all. You've never talked to them about the Lord at all. Never mentioned the name of Jesus to them. But do you have a friend or a coworker? Could be a part of your associations, right? Could be a club that you're in. It could be a school that you teach in, and whoever it is. Y'all with me? Students, friends at school. I know some of y'all are homeschooled. I get it. And you say, I got my parents and my siblings. I get it. You might have to branch outside of that a little bit. So we have family and friends, co-workers, people in our life. And here's the other one. I, I just want us to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life. Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. I want us to pray in just a moment. God, show me where I have to be this week. God, give me eyes to see the people that are around me. Because it may be as you're going to the gas station, it might be at the grocery store, it might be as you're just living life, going out to eat in just a moment, God may lead you to see someone in need of a Savior. Give us eyes to see, oh God. So I, I just want you to write down these things. I've got my list. I don't have it right here. I've got my family. I'm gonna, I've been praying for. Let me, let, me, let me help you with something here. Just encourage you. If you've got any names on your little sheet, pray for them. Now, I know we can pray just a moment, but I want to I ask you to pray at least 48 hours before you reach out to them. Call upon the name of the Lord. Ask God to soften their heart, and then I want you to pray earnestly for them, but I want you to reach out to them and invite them to come with you next Sunday. Now, they may say no. That's okay. That's okay. Don't beat them over the head. But invite them to come. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm just being really practical here. Um, if you invite them to come, invite them to join you for Bible study. And, and I'm, I'll be honest, I know some of my friends and family, they like to eat. So just invite them to go with you to eat after church. I'm just being honest. I mean, I know, right? So just go ahead and say, hey, come on to church with me. Come on to Bible study and we'll go get us something to eat afterwards, right? 
I just want us to be real intentional and very practical in this moment. Y'all with me? Everybody clear? What we're trying to do. We're just, we just making a list. Now look, if you, if you have your list and there's nobody on your list, then your prayer is this, God, show me some people. Everybody here has people around us all the time. And it may be that there's nobody in your little circle, the world, that, that is not a believer or not unchurched. Maybe that's where you are. Then you need to say, God, show me. Open my eyes. Help me to see folks like you see them. God, maybe I need to go through Samaria this week. I need to find some people that need Christ. And we need to start praying for them. Y'all with me? Okay, sorry. Right. So, so pray for that, for those folks, and invite them to join with you next Sunday. Invite them to stay with you for Bible study, and then take them out to eat afterwards. All right? Real simple. Where's Gavin? Is he here? Where is he? Oh, you coming? You coming? All right, come on up. All right, so we're going to have a time of response. Thank you, ladies. Y'all come on. Y'all come on. So we're just going to take a moment here, maybe a little different this morning, a little unconventional. I just broke that. Sorry about that. We'll get it fixed. It's okay to laugh. It happens sometimes, Fisher. It happens. All right, so here's what we're going to do. If y'all will, um, y'all stand to your feet this morning. We're going, we're going to stand. We're going to respond to the Lord. And in a very practical way is just to pray. But we're there, they're going to lead us in a song of response. And I just want us to pray. And friend, if you're here, now please hear me. If you're here today and you're saying, this is where the Lord's called me and this is where I need to plant my feet. I know God's leading me here to commit my life here in membership. Then you come. And if you're here and you know that you need to follow with believer's baptism because you profess Christ, then you come. Or if you're here and you need Christ, then you come. This is an opportunity to do that. Father, just take this moment right now. Help us right here. Encourage us, challenge us by the Holy Spirit of God. Right now, put people in our heart, on our mind, that we can pray for and intentionally invite to come with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lead us in this song.